0: Once like a bird in prison I dwelt No freedom from my sorrow I felt But Jesus came By to sin and things that confound, not all the world shall turn.
1: amen it is good to be free welcome to our guests by the way and that are here with us today and uh, it's a beautiful day glad you're here with us amen I want to continue to talk about first Peter and our study that we've been going through for the past few weeks and uh, this topic that we're talking about today we are going to see the evangelist of Peter coming out again even in the midst of all of the suffering and the persecution that they are going through. Um, It's amazing that Peter continues to encourage people to evangelize, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of going through some hard times, that he continues to encourage them to reach out and show the love of Jesus to those people around them. We're going to see today that the people of his day and the people really of all throughout Scripture are really no different than the people of today. We often think that we are enlightened because somehow we live in 2016 or 2017 and we are enlightened people and we're different. But we're not any different than the Old Testament people. Just so you know that, we're not any different. We're also going to see the fact that God never changes and his love for people never change. He's always been a patient father. He's always been a patient God, wanting and, and waiting and wanting for as many as would to choose him as his as their heavenly father. God has not changed. He loved the people today as much as he loved the people back in Old Testament days. He has not changed his love for people. We're going to see how that's important for us to under- recognize that. And then we're also going to discuss one of the more difficult passages in Scripture that I think to interpret, but I think we're going to see a little different perspective today on how God takes this passage here that confounds us sometimes and some of the scholars, but I think if we look at it in the way God would have us to look at it, we're going to see how he shows his patience and his love for people, no matter when they lived. So as we continue in this study, the question I would have you think about, and you're going to see how this becomes pertinent as we move on, but the the, the topic or the the, the title of the sermon today and, and the question I want you to consider is, how much of a risk taker are you how much of a risk taker how much risk are you willing to take we'll come back to that question later let's read our text first peter chapter 3 first peter chapter 3 beginning at verse 18 and this is in the easy to read version erv version because i like the way it sounded today it says christ himself suffered when he died And with that one death, he paid for your sins. He was not guilty, but he died for people who are guilty. He did this to bring all of you to God. In his physical form, he was killed, but he was made alive by the Spirit. And by the Spirit, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those were the spirits who refused to obey God long ago in the time of Noah. God was waiting patiently for people while Noah was building the big boat or the ark. And only a few, eight in all, were saved in the boat through the flood water. And that water is like baptism, which now saves you. Baptism is not the washing of dirt from the body. It is, the, it is asking God for a clean conscience. It saves you because, God, because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now he has gone into heaven. He is at God's right side, and rules over angels, authorities and powers. Amen, Let's pray. Father, we need your help here. We need your help to discern exactly what you would have us to hear from your word today. Lord, we are needing your words. We're, we're needing your thoughts, your ideas, your applications for today, not a man's, not somebody's, but yours. So God would you open our heart? to receive what you would have us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that Peter says in verse 18, that Christ himself suffered when he died. Christ suffered. This whole, all of 1 Peter is talking about suffering and perseverance in the process. We see the theme one more time talked about, but, you know, Jesus suffered when he died. But the question is, why did he have to die? Why did he have to suffer? Jesus suffered and died not for his own sake so that somehow he could save himself. Jesus needed no one to save him. He, was not, he did not suffer and die for his own sake. He didn't suffer and die because he personally committed a crime that deserved death. He didn't suffer and die because he disobeyed God in any way. The only reason that Jesus suffered and died was to save you and I, the people that are doing everything wrong, <laughs> the people that have sinned and continue to sin and, the, and that have a penalty of death that we cannot pay on our own. Jesus died for us, and I know that that's you 've heard that before, but you know we just can never hear that too much that Jesus died for us in the midst of our struggles struggles in the midst of our Missing the mark in the midst of our sin, Jesus loved us enough, God loved us enough that they sent Jesus, God sent Jesus to be our perfect sacrifice. And He also then becomes the perfect model for us to see how one suffers even when they're doing everything right. Jesus didn't die because He did anything wrong, but yet He suffered and He died even when He was doing everything right. That's a perfect model for us. So when we are then instructed also then, as we live our salvation, our, li- our life out to be a, a person of salvation, that we are also instructed to take up our cross and to suffer and to die to ourselves just as Christ did. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, the Amplified Version of the Bible says it this way, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to follow me... As my disciple, he must deny himself, meaning set aside selfish interests and take up his cross daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. It's always good to know that God is only asking us to do what Jesus already did. <laughs> They're not asking us to do something that He wouldn't be willing to do because He already did it. Jesus already suffered. He already died on the cross for us, and now He's just instructing us to do the same thing. It's also important for us to understand that God the Father gave Jesus the strength and the ability to endure the suffering of that he was going through while he was living this world. That he didn't expect Jesus to do it alone. Jesus was a man just like you and I are a man today. And God is also giving us the support through the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that sustained Jesus, the same Spirit that gave Jesus the ability to endure in the process of living a life of perfection, And also then living and dying a life of perfection in that he never sinned in the process anywhere in it. And it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that strengthened him. And we have that same power within us. Jesus clearly was the perfect role model for us to understand how to receive that authority, how to receive that power. How did Jesus do it? Well, Jesus did it by accepting his Father's will over his own will. Luke chapter 22 Verses 41 and 42, Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, meaning his disciples, and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Yeah, you know, What a great model for us. Jesus purposely, intentionally, gave up his will to his Father's will. Isn't that something that we would think that? Shouldn't I also be able to give up my will the same way then? If Jesus gave up his will to do his Father's will, that's a perfect role model for me to follow as well, that I must do the same thing. Another translation says it this way, Father, if you will, please don't make me suffer by having me drink this cup. This cup was death. This cup was the pain and the punishment of going through something that he didn't deserve. He said, but do what you want for, and not what I want. Jesus gives us the proper way to pray and a proper way to accept the will of God in the face of our suffering. And again, what was the purpose? Why did Jesus suffer? Well, he suffered for us. Go back to our text. And with that one death... He paid for my sin, your sins. He was not guilty, but he died for people who are guilty. That's us. He did this to bring all of you to God, all of us to God. In his physical form, he was killed, but he was made alive by the Spirit. Jesus paid the price for all mankind to have their sins covered by his blood and given in exchange for eternal life, that we would exchange our death for life through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I say all that to set up the next area of our study that we need to be able to assure that we understand that, that Jesus and God are ever eternal and never changing. God is consistent in all of his ways. His love is consistent in all of his ways. He never changes. Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Hebrews 7, 13, 8, Jesus Christ never changes. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. So with that declaration, knowing that God never changes, we also know that his love never changes. We've all are going to be we all have to be reconciled to him through his love and so we can be with him in heaven and it it, it all te- it stands a test of time. Jesus doesn't change and he loves mankind no matter when they were born, no matter when they lived on this earth, no matter what they did, he loved them. And it's important that we grasp this this fact so that we can understand the next portion of scripture, which I think is probably one of the harder portions that people have had to try to interpret. First Peter chapter 3, 19 to twenty, And by the Spirit, and by the Spirit He who is He Jesus, went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Those were the spirits who refused to obey God long ago in the time of Noah. God was waiting patiently for people while Noah was building the big boat or the ark. And only a few, eight in all, were saved in the ark through the flood water. Now, Peter is saying that when Jesus died on the cross, somewhere between his, resur- his death and his resurrection, Jesus went down and he preached to the saints or preached to these people, not saints, preached to the spirits that were held in prison, held in captivity, before he was resurrected from the dead. So he died on the cross. He was dead for three days. Somewhere in that period of time, he, Jesus went down and he preached to these spirits that are held in prison. Now, some some scholars think that these, pris- that these spirits are actually demons that were so evil, that were so vile, that they were held captive at the time of Noah's day, that they, they did such terrible things, uh, that they were so... Undescribably bad that God said, I'm going to ban them to prison early in their existence and he banned them to prison and some people think that he went down and Jesus was preaching to those demons. Another another, uh, belief of that is that these are spirits of people. These are the spirits of the people that were in Noah's day. These are the ones that died that didn't get on the ark and these are the ones that are now in the prison. They are down prior to um, going be cast into the eternal lake of fire or turned into hell but they are in prison now prior to Jesus death that he goes down and he preaches to them I have a tendency to believe the latter I think that these spirits that he's talking to is preaching to are, are are people the spirits of the people that rejected Noah's message what was Jesus preaching for what was he preaching to them for we made a big deal about God loving people and how much he loves people. Clearly, Jesus was not preaching so that they would have an opportunity to accept his sacrifice at, of the cross because there is nowhere in Scripture that ever indicates that people would ever, ever have a second chance. Once you die, once you cross over from death to li- or life to death, you are, your, your fate is sealed. You never have an opportunity for a second chance. So there's nothing in Scripture that Jesus was going down to preach to those people about his death and resurrection coming and that they could be saved. That's not, not what he was preaching about. But what it seems to me here is that Jesus' love for people was so immense that he had to go down to them and explain to them why they are paying the price that they're paying. They had to go down and he had to go down and say, maybe you didn't see it then. Maybe all you heard was a a radical, passionate preacher man. But here's why. I am why. He was preaching about me. Noah was preaching about me. And I now am, I love you so much. I'm sorry, but this is why you're being punished. And so he was giving them an explanation. Now, that's not the point of the message. That's my interpretation, but that's not the point. The point of the message I want to make today is that, The same message, the same message that Noah was preaching to the people then and they rejected is being preached today in this church and in many other churches around this land. And the people of the day have the chance to either accept it or reject it just like the people of Noah's day did. That's the point. Now let's talk about what were the people of Noah's days like, of, of Noah's day. What what did, what were they like? Do you expo, do you suppose? What, were they really all that bad? Well, Genesis chapter six, verses eleven through twelve, tells us. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupted the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So the people were corrupt. It's not really any different than today, quite honestly. The world today is corrupt. It's a dark world. It's a broken world. God's response to Noah, continue to read in verse 13, So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood then he goes on to verse 17. And I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Obviously, the environment of Noah's day was not very good. It was dark and it was broken. And God was just. In his decision. God was just in his penalty. But the question is, was God hasty? Was this a knee-jerk reaction of an angry God that he would do this? Well, the Bible doesn't give us an exact amount of time it took Noah to build the ark, but it's somewhere between 100 and 120 years it took Noah to build the ark. Now, you can imagine here that 100 years... 70, 100, 120, it doesn't make any difference. It's a long time. It's a long time for some crazy man to be out in his front yard building something that had never been built before. There wasn't any reason to think that a flood was coming because they didn't have rain before. The earth was watered from the dew of the ground, never had a rain cloud, never had water come out of the sky. So when when Noah said there's a flood coming, they had no idea what he was talking about. But yet Noah preached the gospel for a hundred years while he was building the ark. He, he was preaching and building at the same time. According to, to Peter, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Only, one can only ascertain or imagine that if Noah was obedient enough, think about the obedience he must have had to build the ark. I mean, think of it would you do it <laughs> I mean think about it he had to, he built this big boat and he never even seen a boat float before uh, it's just totally un, un, unbelievable that he had all the faith so if he had enough faith to build the ark then he assuredly was adamant and passionate in his sharing the gospel message as to why I'm building the ark he was preaching to the people of his day with passion Guys, you must repent. You must save yourselves. You must, you must, you must. And he was preaching strongly and a very passionate message. And the people of his day ignored him and they rejected his message. Okay, let me ask you another question. Were all the people of this day totally vile, totally corrupted, or do you think there were degrees of evilness in the people of his day? Let me, ask you, let, me, let me answer that question with another question. Are people today all equally evil? Or are there degrees of evil today? Yeah, there's degrees of evil. There are those that are the, are the mass murderers and the rapists and the child molesters. and I mean, that's pretty evil stuff. And then there is the good guy. He's all right. He's a good guy, but he just has never accepted Jesus as a Savior. Still an evil man in sight of God. So I got to imagine there were day, there were men just like that in Noah's day. There were those that were really vile, really corrupted, really really bad, and those are the people that that were just detestable. And then there were those that were kind of on the fence. They really didn't know what to think about this Noah guy. They were probably listening to Noah and kind of agreeing with him when he was listening to Noah, but as soon as they got home and away from it, they probably fell into the to the temptations and, and the ridicule of the, work po- the workforce around them. <laughs> and they probably gave in to them and, and probably wasn't able to really have a consistency in their life. Kind of like a lot of Christians today. Kind of kinda like a lot of professing Christians today. While they're in church, they're pretty good about being good people. But get them out in the workforce and all of a sudden they have a new language. You get them on the job site and all of a sudden they have a new set of morals and character. I think the people were very similar to what we were today as to what they were then. In fact, I think that we, will, we know that because Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17 of verse 26, it says that this is Jesus speaking, When I return, the world will be as indifferent to the things of God as the people were in Noah's day. They ate and drank and married, everything just as usual, right up to the day when Noah went into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So it's obvious here. We've been given God's word that the people of Noah's day and the people of today are in the same boat. No pun intended. They're in the same situation. The people just of today, we are preaching today that there's a rapture coming that there's there's a judgment coming yet we're preaching that and people are as indifferent to that message today as they were to the indifferent to the message of noah then and it says before i come the second time jesus says it will be as in the days of noah where they will be eating and drinking and going about their life, listening, hearing in the background this messenger of the gospel, this messenger of God preaching salvation, and they're going through their life totally ignoring him, and that's exactly what's happening today. We're having messengers, we have people preaching the gospel, uh, warning people what's coming, and people are thinking, oh, that's another day, I've got lots of time, that guy's crazy, it's never going to happen, it, happens, it hasn't happened yet, why is it going to happen tomorrow? You know, the whole thing, the scoffers. They're scoffers today just like they were scoffers then. Same deal. Yet, God was patient with them. God was patient God was waiting patiently for people. Our script, our text says, God was waiting patiently for people while Noah was building the ark, and only a few, eight in all, were saved in the boat or in the ark through the floodwater. Only a few. Have you ever heard the word or the term "a few" since then? <laughs> does re- does history repeat itself? Yeah. We're going, to hear, we're going to see here how history is going to repeat itself. Because it says there that only a few, eight people in all, of all the hundreds of thousands or millions, I don't know how many people were alive at that time, but of all of those people alive, only a few, eight people were saved. God destroyed By the choice of the people, everyone, that didn't accept his message without compromise. I got to imagine when Noah was finally done and he finally finished, put the last nail in or the last caulk job or whatever he had to do to call it done and God said, Noah, the animals are on board. Come on, I'm going to shut the door. And Noah goes up and the hand of God comes up and shuts that door I got to imagine people were starting to wonder what is going on now. And that's just what it's going to be like come rapture day. It's going to happen that fast. And when that door closes, it's closed. I got to imagine people were were banging on the ark. Noah, it's raining. Let me in. Let me in, Noah. And I got to imagine that the animals were so loud, Noah couldn't hear them because he must have would have broken his heart to hear the people outside banging on it. And I, gotta, I just got to imagine that God made it so chaotic and so loud in the ark at the time that Noah couldn't hear what was going on outside because it would have broken his heart. For all those years, people, he's been preaching to them, preaching to them, and preaching to them, and now they're on the outside and they can't come in, and he knows their destruction. He knows what's coming. But only a few, only a few, Where have you heard that term before? Open your Bible, chapter Matthew, chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, beginning at verse thirteen. Heaven can be entered only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide enough for all the magnitudes or multitudes who choose its easy way. But the gateway to life is small, and the road is narrow, and only a few find it. Only a few find it. Luke chapter 13, beginning of verse 22, in the Amplified Version, another example of the word few being used when it comes to our future, as far as our past, our history being repeated. Jesus journeyed on through cities and villages, teaching and making his way toward Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, Will only a few be saved from the penalties of the last judgment? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. Force aside unbelief and the attractions of sin. For many, I tell you, will try to enter by their own works and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and closes the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door again and again, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you are from. For you are not of my household. Verse 26. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets, but he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and sorrow and pain and grinding of teeth and distress and anger when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out and driven away. Not a very popular verse today. I don't think many feel-good preachers read this passage very often in their church services. I'm not sure how it makes you feel about talking about this this way, but I know our society and our culture gets very uncomfortable when Christians start talking like this. When we start talking the fact that it's God's Word is saying that it's only a few are actually going to make it into heaven's gates. If God's word is saying it, which it is, and we're just repeating it, which we are, isn't it worthwhile to believe it for what it says? I mean, I would do you no service this morning if I read this verse and said, you know, guys, don't worry about this. It's really not going to be this bad. No, You're, you're good people. This is, this, is, this is over the top. This is radical. This, it really isn't going to happen. You know, if I said that, it might make you feel good. It might make you feel more comfortable knowing that you could walk out of here today and think, hey, the, the preacher said, I'm okay. But who is the preacher? <laughs> that preacher is going to stand before God. And believe me, the preacher that says that, his punishment is going to be a lot worse than your punishment Because he led so many astray. And I tell you, I'm afraid of God a lot more than I'm afraid of you. And therefore, I want to tell you what God's word says. Because I want, like Noah, I want all people to be saved. I want all people to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I don't want any of us to be caught into this buying into this easy believism of, you know, just live your life good. Just be a good guy. And God's going to forgive you. God loves all. Yes, he does love you. The question is, how much of a risk taker are you? How much risk are you willing to take? We'll come back to that question in a minute. 1 Peter chapter 3, 21 and 22, And that water, or the flood water that happened here, is like baptism, which now saves you. Baptism is not the washing of dirt from the body. It is asking God for a clean conscience. Key words, we'll come back to that. He's asking, it's asking God for a clean conscience. It saves you because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now he has gone into heaven. He is at God's right side and he rules over angels, authorities, and powers. See, Peter gives the analogy here of Noah and his family being saved through the the flood like people being saved and then being water baptized today. It's not the water baptism that saves you. But the water baptism is the outward sign of a washing and a rebirth of a person of their sins and that that death no longer reigns in their body because they have been born again and they have been raised up just like those were saved through the floodwaters. That's like a baptism for them. It's that realization that the blood of Jesus covers our sin and that we believe that and that we ask Jesus to forgive us and then when we do, we have a clean conscience before God. Not that we are imperfect, or not that we're perfect people because we're not. We're, we are sinners and we are sinners saved by grace but now the blood of Christ gives us a clean rebirth, rebirth and a washing of our life. so now we can have a clean conscience before the Lord. I can live a happy life. I can live a joyful life because my sins are forgiven because I'm not under condemnation anymore. I'm a new creation through Christ Jesus. That's the lifestyle that we can chase after. That's the lifestyle that we can have. I can have that. You can have that. You don't have to live under the guilt of your sin. Because once Jesus forgives you of it and washes you of it and you go through that birthing process of baptism that now you are assured of your salvation as you continue to live in it on a daily basis. But I want to ask you again, how much of a risk taker are you? Do you consider yourself pretty conservative when it comes to your finances? How many here are really willing to take a big risk with your money? How many are really to, to, are willing to take it down to the casino and throw it on the blackjack table and put it out there and say, yeah, I'm going to risk it all? Uh, I don't think many of us are. I, I think pretty much we're pretty conservative with our, with our finances that way. But I want to ask us again, how much of a risk taker are we when we know that history is going to repeat itself? History is going to repeat itself. There's going to come a day when there's only a few that are going to make it into heaven. Just like only a few were saved on, at, at Noah's day, there's only going to be a few. Jackie, can you come please and help me here? You can close up and t- play some music. while I ask the question again? How much of a risk taker are you? Now and the reason I'm asking this question is because some people say, Mike, you're really hard. You're really preaching a hard word here. But let me ask you the question, what happens if I'm wrong and those that are saying, Mike, you're really preaching a hard word, what happens if I'm wrong and you're right? What happens if I really am preaching a really hard word? And in the reality of it is that many are going to come into heaven's gates. What happens if I'm wrong and you're right? Well, the worst that could happen here is that you would see a lot of people that are going to get into heaven that you didn't think were going to get in heaven. <laughs> uh, that's the worst that could happen. And, um, and and if you were living that holy life and you were living that life of fearing God and uh, abstaining from things that you would maybe have, the worst would be that you would have lived a life free of guilt. That you didn't um, partake in um, pornography and and adulterous relationships, and you kept yourself pure in your premarital relationships, and you you stopped the lying and the cheating, and and you lived a life that was good. And many others are didn't live such a good life, and they're getting into heaven. And you're thinking, well, why is that happening? And so here's the deal: the biggest, the worst thing for you is that more people are getting into heaven than you thought. And then, and and here's the deal: you lived a life without guilt. You lived a life of happiness in the process because you didn't have to feel any guilt or condemnation because you were living a good life. So if I'm wrong, and if I'm reading God's word wrong, and really more people are going to get into heaven than I'm saying, then there's no downside to that. But what happens if I'm right, and you're wrong? (laughs) What happens if the Bible is really saying, and it really means what it says, and you're on the outside here now, See, the risk is if you're willing to take that risk and that if I'm really right and only a few are going to make it into heaven and you're on the the side thinking, oh, no, there's many going to make it into heaven because I'm reading the word too hard and I'm taking it too literal, that's going to be a bad day for you. It's going to be a bad day because you're going to get there thinking that God's going to let you in because he's a good guy the good guys would let me in no what is going to happen is that Jesus is going to love you so much he's going to do just what he did to those prisoners that he went down and preached to and he's going to say you rejected the message Noah gave you the message prisoners you rejected the message in 2017 it doesn't make any difference when you lived I loved you the same I loved you all the same the message never changed the way to salvation never changed. It was all the same, and you choose, you chose to take a risk. And you lost. And I'm sorry, but that's what it is. This morning I would just ask us all here that we would examine our life and that we would choose righteousness, overworldliness, choose holiness. Choose a life that is above reproach. Choose to ask Jesus to forgive you and then live like it. Live on that narrow road with minor corrections of repentance to keep yourself on that narrow road. So that when that day comes and you stand before Jesus, you're not surprised. You didn't take the big risk. You trusted Jesus. You trusted every word that he said. Would you pray with me in a minute? Would you close your eyes and just pray? Father, we just come to you now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I know I'm preaching to the church. And some would say, Mike, why do you preach to the church this way? Because we're all saved. But Father, it's what's on my heart. It's what you laid on my heart week after week after week because I'm just obeying what you're putting on my heart to preach. You love us so much that you want to be so patient. You were so patient in the days of Noah that you made Noah spend 100 years building an ark when you could have built it overnight. You could have miraculously had it appear. But in your patience, you required of Noah that he work diligently and hard and preach and call to others while you are being patient, waiting for people to come and choose you. And God, that's exactly what you're doing right now. It's exactly what you're doing. While many preachers around this country are preaching a word just like this to their congregations, that we are, you are patiently waiting for all of us to come in. So this morning, while your eyes are closed and while you're contemplating your heart, I want to give you an opportunity again today to accept Jesus. And maybe you have accepted Jesus in the past, but maybe you continue to struggle in your relationship with him. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, I've heard it said that just repeating the, the sinner's prayer which is basically the pastor saying okay if you want to receive Jesus just repeat this prayer after me and the pastor says the words and you repeat them that that sends more people to hell than alcoholism does because if I, if I, if I make it that easy seriously if we make it that easy that you're just repeating words and then you walk out thinking that you're saved and you haven't done the hard work of repentance if you haven't done the hard work of truly saying you're sorry then the preacher has misled you because he's given you a false sense of security and I want you to know that every person that comes to the cross of Christ comes the same way they come on their knees you're no different than anybody else This morning, if you need to make your heart right with the Lord, yes, it begins with your words, but it's finished through your actions, day after day after day. Now, we're all family here, we love each other, there's no condemnation, there's no judgment here this morning. I want to give you the opportunity. If you need to make your heart right with the Lord, I would like you to feel comfortable and feel angst at the same time so that you would actually make a move here. And if you need to get your heart right with Jesus, I need you to tell him, but more importantly, show him and do something hard. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and actually come up to the altar and bow before him bend your knee before him now while you have the opportunity to as we sing this song as jackie's playing i just want to give you the opportunity to evaluate the risk that you're taking in your life am I a risk taker or am I willing to give it all to Jesus because I don't want any risk in my salvation. I don't want any risk in my relationship with Jesus. The altars are open. If you would like to come up and just spend some time with the Lord and say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to make a public display one more time. The altars are open as we sing the song. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you now for your mercy and your grace. Lord, I thank you for your love and your, and your patience with us. Lord, that you are calling us. And I thank you for those that have answered the call. And we worship you. And we come and we, we praise your name. we bow down before you one more time today. Strengthen us as we go. Lord, as you strengthen Jesus, as he walked into his days, as you strengthen the biblical characters, as you strengthen those of old, give us your strength, Holy Spirit. Give us your love and your mercy as we go all throughout our days. Help us to be faithful unto you. Help us to be there to call, you, to call on you at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great day today. Enjoy the presence of the Lord. He's a great God, and he loves you much. Amen. Thank you, Jesus
0: deep cries out